You can open up your Bible and uh, encourage people to look in the book, in the Bible. It's God's book, and I'm convinced anybody who comes to know the Lord knows his book is his book, and it's a reality. You know, before I knew the Lord, I remember once I gave my life to the Lord, I had an appetite for the Bible. I wanted to know there was a reality to it that was not there before I knew the Lord and before I had committed to him. So Numbers, the 13th chapter, Numbers way back there in the Old Testament, we're going to start off and we've been talking about matters of the heart. And one thing that's important to establish in our hearts is this, and this is huge, And we've been talking about different things that we need to have in our heart or heart attitudes. This is a big one. And it may seem small, but it's huge. We need to be prompt. You know what prompt means? Like on time or or there? Somebody's like, great. Of all days, I was on time to church today. Now, well, that's not exactly what I'm talking about. But prompt prompt to obey. In other words, obeying God as quick as we can when the obedience is required quickly. That would have been a good time to quickly say amen. No delay. Amen. It's a huge thing through the Bible how that prompt obedience is a big thing with tremendous benefits. How many times have people struggled in their life with promptly obeying, thinking it's going to cost me? What are other people going to say? It's going against, you know, how I feel at the moment. It's going against circumstances right now if I'm just going to do this. And how many people realize once they do it, it does something internally and things start changing in our lives. And so we're going to talk about being a prompt to do it obeyer or responder to God. This is huge. This is what will outpace other people. You will get ahead of the game in life, amen, if we become prompt to obey. And it's a big theme throughout the Bible. Numbers, the 13th chapter and the 30th verse, we'll begin reading here. It said, then Caleb quieted the people. See, all the people here, there had been a promise from God about possessing what belonged to the people of Israel And uh, they went up to see if what God said. He said, this land I have for you is tremendous. And if you will go up there, you can see all the great things I have for you. So they all went up and they all came back and said, it's exactly like God said. But the problem was out of the 12 that went up, 10 of them... uh, started factoring wrong things. And so notice this in the, the 30th verse. It says, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to over." 
come. We can walk in what God wants us to walk in if we'll be a prompt, obedient person. Have you ever struggled with uh, promptly obeying? Well, let's just throw that out the window. Have you ever struggled with obeying? Let alone prompt. I mean, just obeying. And sometimes you think, why is there such um, opposition to obeying? It, it, there's nothing new the Bible said under the sun. You, you thought that was a rock and roll song they made up the words? They read Ecclesiastes. But there's nothing new under the sun. There's a time to plant, time, you know. I'm not daring sing it because it won't sound good. Not that theirs sounds good, but it made them a lot of money. But anyway, somebody's like, what is he talking about? There's an old song that uses those scriptures, but a lot of it has to do with obeying. And how that obeying, you know, can reap tremendous results. Well, here's why I believe at least one reason why people struggle with obedience. Letting people get ready to write. It's because there's an enemy. And some, some people think when the enemy comes, he's going to come with a pitchfork, a red suit, horns, tail, optional. But that's how he's going to come. But he doesn't come that way. Wouldn't it be nice if he did? I mean, I, I'm not, be careful what I say because it's on video, but I see a couple people dressed in red. No, no offense, but, but no, no, I'm not. I'm just saying, if, they, if he showed up in a red suit, I could spot him in the crowd. I'm pointing over heads. That, that's the devil right there. I'm going to avoid that. But he didn't come like that. Man, if he did, wouldn't it be nice? We see him walking down the row. I'm going this way. Amen? Just putting a sweater on to cover the redness. <laughs> I know there were people who did that in the Old Testament. Adam and Eve covered. No. And, um, but you, you think about it. Why is there opposition? Well, why does the enemy do that? How does he do it? The biggest tool, if you ever want to know how the enemy works, and you can read this in the Bible, he works through the power of suggestion. Thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. And they're going to be contrary or compromising toward God. Why? They knew that God said, I've given you a land, and it's time to go get it right now, whatever it is in our lives. And the thought came, we can't do it. Some of them said we can. Some of them said we can't. Look at this. Let us go up at once and possess the land, for we are well able. Why did ten of them say we can't? The land is, a, nobody's arguing that what's out there is good. The only argument is, can we go do it or can't we? All God asks was, would, will you obey right now and do it? And here is the thing. Both of these people uh, 
had thoughts and ideas and suggestions come to them? Where did uh, the ten spies all of a sudden get this mentality that you're a grasshopper compared to those people? That's what they said. But you know what's interesting? Forty years later, when they finally went up, it said that those people said they were fearful the whole time. They didn't think them as grasshoppers. The people somehow, you know, got this grasshopper mentality. And what did it do? It stopped them from acting when they had an opportunity to act promptly. What it is is the enemy is about robbing people. So he'll, he'll say, well, don't do it right now. Wait, wait a week or wait a few weeks. And, and, and sometimes there can be a real internal struggle with people and God's going, let's do this. What we need to realize is, what are we missing? Sometimes we never really know what we're missing until we obey. Whether it was Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. It blew his mind. He had never caught a catch like that before where his boat began to sink. Now, I've fished a bit. I've never come to that place. And I've been on some boats that have caught a lot of fish. And never where well it was sinking. Now, I've been on a boat that was sinking, but that's totally different. Amen. Uh, you know, one time I was going to Catalina Island in the middle of the night and the captain fell asleep at the wheel and we crashed into the island. But that wasn't because we were catching so many fish. I mean, I've never been in this. These guys are fishermen for their life and, and they get so many fish, their boat sinking, it's so radically... Uh, affected them that they basically said, what do you want us to do, Lord? And what it was was one act of obedience because they struggled with obeying. They obeyed. And when they obeyed, it drove them deeper into something not only physical, but something spiritual. And all obedience to God may look like it affects natural things, but it also affects spiritual things. And so when he said, let us go up at once, here was the thing. Caleb and Joshua factored God into their obedience. Disobedience factors God out of it. It's getting quiet in here. So obedience factors God in, disobedience factors God out. Well, you can tell right there what will the outcome look like if I'm factoring God in. What, what is he saying? And, and here is the interesting thing that um, obedience is very often not uh, convenient. Nor is obedience, how would you say it, all your ducks are in a row, everything's perfect, the time is right, you know, because all the stars are aligning, 
you know, the reflection is great. It makes my complexion look good. And the birds are singing and I'm ready now. Look, you know, because sometimes we think everything's working out perfect. Now is the time to obey. But when we look at these things of obedience, they're very seldom are perfect circumstances to obedience. Even Peter letting down his net and catching a bunch of fish, that was the perfect time to load those dudes in the back of your truck, take them down to the market, sell them, and get rich. Amen? He didn't have a truck. His chariot or his whatever, load his donkeys, whatever it was, and take them down there. And he, fi he finally obeys, does it. He gets this massive catch. And then the Lord says, follow me. And it said he forsook all of it and left it with his family. Wow. He had just caught more fish than he had ever caught in his life. So he first obeys. When he had toiled all night and he argued with the Lord, he said, Lord, we've, we've been struggling at this. And he finally obeyed and it happened. And then you would think, wow, cool, the blessing of God. I'm finally obeying everybody. Look what God is doing in my life. And he's like, I want you to obey again. Are you sure about this? You know, I'm making money. This is it. And he, he had factored God into it, and he factored God into it again. And the Lord gave him a proposition. He said, if you will follow me, he said, you see how you caught these uh, fish right here? He said, I'm going to turn you into a fisherman. A fisher of men. You know, it's an interesting thought that anybody who will follow God, he will make you into some kind of fisher of men. If I'm not a fisher of men, I need to go back and go, where am I, how can I obey you better? Because there's somewhere a fish to be caught. Amen? Somebody said, I'm glad you're talking about fishing. I've been thinking about going to Swarrow Lake lately. No, I'm not talking about that kind of fishing. I'm talking about fishing for men, like Jesus said. And so we see here that, you know, in the Bible that obedience seems to, when we, when we don't do it, it seems to bring frustration. And when we do do it, it brings relief and it brings blessing to our life. I mean, if there isn't somebody to look at but to look at Pharaoh for obedience, oh my, remember him? He had captive the children of Israel, and God wanted him to obey him. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. And uh, God said, well, okay, then we'll make some circumstances for you. And uh, some adverse circumstances came, and life was horrible for him. And he's like, all right, I'll obey. How many people wait till it gets tough to obey? We don't want that. Don't wait. 
He didn't have to wait. He didn't have to have adverse circumstances. And then all of a sudden, adverse circumstances came, and he said, okay, God, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll let your people go. And then all of a sudden, the pressure is off, and he disobeyed again. He did that numerous times, and it made life miserable. I mean, cattle-wise and all this stuff, and the people were afflicted. And finally, he said, I'll obey. But, you know, Pharaoh didn't have to go through any of that. Trouble, junk, nothing if he would have just responded. So we're going to look at some people who responded. Look at what they did and how it worked out for them. But in 2 Kings, the second chapter, we're going to look at a few few people here. You know, because when you talk about obedience, or you, let, me, let me say it like this. You talk about people walking in God's best and God's blessing on their life. A lot of people... When you start making comments like God's blessing on someone's life, immediately people look and start thinking, well, everybody's got to be perfect, or I got to be perfect, it's not going to work out, and that is not even the case. I said, that's not even the case. Your perfection is not the thing. Your obedience is the thing. And so 2 Kings, the 7th chapter, we're going to look at this. In the third verse, it says, Now there were four lepers, leprous men. Well, if you don't know what a leper is, it's some kind of stuff that grows on your body and uh, causes your extremities to kind of waste away. People eventually start losing fingers, ears, nose, toes, you know, all that. It, it just starts growing and eating it away. And so a leper, you know, people were, were afraid. They didn't want lepers uh, around them. So lepers would be an outcast. They, 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 even in India today, I believe there's still leper colonies. Different places where they just put lepers. But leprosy is treatable, but... Here we have four lepers. So how many of you think that they're uh, in a good position to receive from God? Well, what makes a person be able to? Notice this. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate of the city. So they're not in the city. They're just outside the city. And they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? Why are we just sitting doing nothing until we die? Why are we, are we just going to waste away our lives? Well, well what, what's going to change things for them? Notice this, they start contemplating. If we say, we will enter the city, the famine in the city, there is a famine in the city, and we'll die there. So get this picture. They have a famine in their own life. They've got all this junk circumstance going on. And they're outside of this city. And this city is actually besieged. And they're getting starved to death. Thinking, we stay here, we die. We go in there, we're going to die. How many of you know, just it's not like a real good day, you know? Optimist or pessimist, they're either way, they're going to die. 
Maybe just one will be more cheerful than the other, but they're, they're on a bad course. And so it said, you know, we'll only die if we do this. So they said, there's a Syrian army out there. Let us surrender to them. And if they kill us, well, we'll die. And if not, we'll live. You know, they thought there's just barely a glimmer of hope in this step we can take. And sometimes when people, you know, maybe haven't obeyed or whatever, they, they don't see much hope in their life. It may seem like a glimmer of hope, but I'm telling you, obedience is way bigger than people give credit and to when it comes to God. So verse 5 said in the seventh uh, chapter of Second Kings, and so they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to, surprise, to their surprise, there was nobody there. I mean, this is an army camp. They've been besieged. This is only four guys and a boombox. You ever see those guys walking down the street with the big radio? Anybody remember that? You know, you, you had a radio and put it on your shoulder. You walk down, people had got their own sound. And that's kind of like these guys. There's just four of them with leprosy, starving to death. And they just said, well, they only saw a little glimmer of hope in stepping out. And so notice verse 6. They were surprised nobody was there, for the Lord had caused the army of the Assyrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses and the noise of a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. So you got this big massive army. Their only glimmer of hope is maybe they'll let us live. And if not, they're going to kill us and we're going to die at the gate or we're going to die in the city. So they started going. And all of a sudden, four people walking out here. They, they just stepped out on what they knew to do at that time. And you know what's so awesome about this? God magnified their sound. You know, if you're a hunter, one thing you don't want with somebody who hunts with you is somebody who talks loud. Or they crunch through the sticks, you know. They talk loud. Why? They don't, you don't want to scare off what you're trying to get. Well, these guys are walking along. They're not trying to make noise like chariots. But God amplified the steps that they took. Sometimes when we only see a glimmer of light, we need to realize this. If we start taking the steps we know to take, God will start magnifying or working with the steps we're taking and start preparing what's out ahead of us as we obey. If they wouldn't have walked, would the children, uh, the Syrian army, heard these people who are children of God? God or of his covenant, 
But as they took steps, man, things started to straighten out in front of them. Who would have ever thought? I mean, they didn't even have a full conviction, God's going to help us. God's going to keep us alive. They just knew if we take some steps, that's what's ours to do right now. And when they began to take these steps, God started working. Here's an interesting thought. They didn't even know God was working when they first started taking these steps. You know, and when you take steps of obedience, it may not look like God's working right now either. But by the time you get there, you can see. And that's a huge thing. Because sometimes people take some steps and they think, oh, no, I'm going to go back to the gate. But they kept walking and kept walking with that glimmer of hope as they obeyed. And man, they show up and there's nobody there and it's so wild that God was working on their behalf as they were taking these steps. Now notice this, verse 7. Therefore they arose and fled the, because they were hearing this sound at twilight. I mean, it happened when they started stepping. It didn't happen before they stepped. It didn't happen after. It started happening when they started obeying. Notice, therefore, they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. Everything they had there, their food, everything that these lepers could imagine was there. And when these lepers came, in verse 8, to the outskirts of the camp, they went into the tent and ate and drank. I mean, these guys are having a party. I mean, there's a picnic there, and nobody else is there. They're starving. The whole city is starving. Four improbable people. They didn't look the best. They weren't maybe the most eloquent. I mean, these guys got leprosy. They're starving. Conditions are not good, but they're acting. Notice this. They ate, they drank, and they carried for, from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. I mean, think about these guys. This is their attitude. Man, look what we've got. And they're just shoving their pockets full of gold, shoving their pockets full of silver. I mean, they're packing stuff and they're hiding it. I mean, they got the whole camp to themselves, but they're thinking maybe somebody will come and take what I'm getting. And so they're just hiding all this tremendous stuff just because they took some steps. And then they came back and entered another tent, carried some away from there also, and went and hid it. I mean, think of this. These guys, these four lepers, they're just raiding a tent, going and hiding it. Raiding a tent, going and hiding it. I mean, hey, once you've obeyed, once you start taking the step, you start partaking. And they did that. But here is a tremendous observation. Then they said to one another, at this point, they haven't been talking, they've been eating. They've been packing gold, silver, they've been enjoying it themselves. They're like, man, this is good stuff. From no hope, to they need to go to, you know, one of those diet places. I mean, they're eating. 
They got silver, they've got gold, they've got all they need from, from poverty to riches real quick. Now what's interesting is, it seems like they weren't talking. I mean, if you're hungry and you've got all the food you can eat, you're probably not going to be talking to everybody near you. There's a, this grunting and eating. And finally, after they're eating, I mean, I don't know, they've probably got pastries and stuff, and they're walking and hiding stuff, and they're thinking, this is the greatest deal ever. And all that came from just taking a step of obedience, a, a glimmer towards some hope that they weren't even sure if it was altogether there. And then they had a light bulb moment. Now, I don't know if modern cartoons do this, but old cartoons did this. When somebody had a good idea, a light bulb would appear above their head. And they had one of these moments. Then they said to one another in verse 9, we're not doing right. I'm, I'm thinking they're doing right. This day is a day of good news. And we remain silent about it. They're partaking of something that other people needed. That they stepped out before the crowd stepped out. They stepped in before the multitude stepped in. They were partaking of something that others desperately needed. And they're just feasting themselves, thinking this is the most awesome thing ever. And, and, and the four of them, this little imperfect group, said, we're doing wrong. How could you be doing wrong when you're starving and you're eating finally? How can you be doing wrong when you're poor and you finally have riches? What made it wrong? It says, they had good news and we remain silent. If we will wait until the morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Notice this. They promptly, once they figure it out, they promptly go and obey, kind of look and see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, and they start going, and they found, man, this is a bigger light than we thought. How many people have come to the Lord and went, wow, this is a bigger light than I ever imagined? And so here they are with the Lord and his blessing, and they said, if we hold out too long punishment, something's going to come back on us about this. You know, certain things in God are not to be kept to ourselves. You know, one thing, I don't want when we get to the day of judgment, we'll get in, but I don't want somebody to say, how come you never told me? How, how come you didn't tell me about this good news, this feasting you were partaking of? It says, if we wait until the light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So you picture this. They've already got stuff hidden. They've been partaking of this because they acted on this little glimmer of hope. And they're just feasting. And they said, we've got great good news. And they realized, if we don't tell people... There's something wrong. So they had an opportunity to step 
and then another one was presented to them to step. Here's the thing. Somebody may not realize this, but man, they were written in the Bible. They became a hero for other generations. They actually helped others from this plight they were in. I mean, God saw fit to put them in the book so that people could read this forever. You know, there are people in the Bible who acted in obedience that God said um, he put it in the book so people from, for eternity would be able to see their good deed that they did. Why? Because God sees obedience as a huge thing. Obedience has tremendous benefits. Turn to Mark 16. It will benefit us, but life shouldn't just be about me. Life shouldn't be just about what I'm experiencing. Though when we put God first, we won't be let down. But life should be about not just what I can get, but what can I give? Who can I share with? How can I obey God in any area he wants me to obey? And like I said before, our obedience is not always based on perfect circumstances. Are you with me? Mark 16. Notice this in verse 1. Now when the Sabbath day had passed, Mary Magdalene, now Jesus has been crucified and he's buried. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might come and anoint him or anoint his body. Very early in the morning, verse 2, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. So they were up early. This is probably why people do Easter sunrise services. I like Easter's risen three or four hour services. I thought I'd get more amens for that. But, you know, I had a friend, he, he only, you know, he, they call him a C&E Christian. You know what a C&E Christian is? A Christmas and Easter Christian. That's the day they go. And I, I, and I, you know, I'm, I'm good with being there at 9 or 10 whenever the service is. But he, every Christmas and Easter, has to go to find a sunrise service and go to it. Talk about commitment. I mean, it's only two days out of the year, but it's a real commitment. God, God wants us to obey all the time, though. But notice this. They've got all these spices they've prepared, and they're walking toward the tomb. This is a huge thing. Verse 3, And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb? You know, our obedience, like them, sometimes, you know, we prepare. You know, you can prepare, but there's still a time when you've got all the stuff to do it. You can't just wait around to obey. You've got to get up and start moving toward the, the object of obedience, doing the thing. And, and who would have known? You know, the children of Israel, that they said, go up at once. 
they didn't go up at once. The next group went up later on, and when they did, God started working with them. And here's the same type of thing. They're prepared. You know, you can only prepare so much, and then you got to go. You got to take a step and obey. And so here they are obeying. They're walking to the tomb, and they've got everything they need, and they're thinking, how is this going to work out? And what's so cool, we don't see it here, but we see it in another part of the story. But when they came near thinking, how are we going to be able to do this thing that we want to do for the Lord? And it said, when they looked up, they saw the stone was rolled away. Another one of the passages tells us that an angel rolled the stone away. It's kind of like the same thing. As those lepers, as they began to act, when circumstances were not right, I mean, let's just sit at home and let's just wait till the stone is rolled away. Let, let's just wait here until the enemy camp leaves. But it seems that God requires an initial step of obedience on our part for things to get set into motion. Wouldn't it be nice if, like, you know, there's a story in, a Bi in the Bible about a man who was crippled, and the Lord said to him while he was crippled, stand up, take up your bed, and walk. Well, that crippled guy could have said, I'm crippled. Um, could you make my toes work? Oh, yeah, I see him. And now I'll step. But he told him, you just step out before you have any feeling." And so, you know, I don't know if he struggled, how he did it, but that when he began to act, the power of God began to work. There was a blind man in John 9, 7 who came to Jesus and said, I need sight. So, you know, the Lord just said, okay, there you go, you see. No, he didn't do that. He spit on the ground and he made a med pie. You know, some people think kids grow out of that. Jesus did it as an adult. He spit on the ground. He, I don't know if he had a stick or his finger, but he like made these little mud pies, and he slapped them in each of his eyes. Now, if you're wanting your sight, is that exactly what you're wanting from the Lord? Oh, this, this is great, you know. I mean, I already can't see myself, but I know now I look more stupid than I did before. I had these big old mud blobs right in my eyes. And you know what the Lord told him? Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent, the scent pool. Go there, wash, and you'll receive your sight. Well, obedience right there. This, you got, you're a blind guy. This isn't like, hey, there's a guy right over there at the crowd. He brought a water bottle to service. Have him douse that out of your eyes. Now, go look on a map in the back of your Bible. I mean, he made him travel. There were other places to get water. Just like the leper in the Old Testament that came, heard a prophet was healing, and the prophet said, go dip in this dirty river seven times. Not three, not two, not five, not six. Seven times 
when the seventh time you'll come seeing, that guy got ticked off. He said, I thought, I come to this prophet, I thought he would ask me to do something, you know, whatever, and he'd come out and wave his hand and I'd be healed. But you know what he did? He, t he just basically told him, here are some instructions. You need to obey these instructions. How many people stop at six dips? But here's the thing. This guy didn't even start. He got so mad that the directions that came from God were to go dip in this dirty river. One of his servants said, wait a minute, wait a minute. If he would have come out here and told you to do something hard, would you have done it? He said, well, yeah. He, he said, yeah, but, the, but, the, but there's clean rivers back where I live. I could have dipped there. But how many of you know God's instructions don't always look and seem maybe always comfortable to us? But how many of you know God's assistance and God's power is always correct, connected to specific obedience? And so he literally, his servant talked him down. You know what that means? His servant said, listen, why don't you just do it? So the guy goes, okay, I'll go do it. So he dips once in this dirty river, twice in this dirty river, six times. I wonder who's on their sixth time or their fifth time, and they're like, enough is enough. I'm going home. I'm tired of this. I've been putting up with this. I came all this distance. I'm tired. Enough is enough. This is not what I signed up for. I thought if I was going to serve God, everything was just going to be served to me super easy and there would be no obstacles and nothing in my way. And uh, where are those thoughts coming from? We would serve ourselves well to recognize I don't want those things to proceed out of my mouth. You know why they proceed out of my mouth? They persist in my mind. And if they persist in my mind, it's probably going to make my obedience harder because I might get an attitude toward obeying. And here this guy is, he is struggling with an attitude. I know none of you have ever done that. But I'm thinking in case you run into that person in your life, no amens to that. But how many people are like, do I got to do it again? Do I got to do it again? Remember the guy who had prayed for rain? He sent his servant out. He said, go look. He said, nothing. And he prayed and he said, now go back and look again. He kept telling him, go back and look. Keep obeying. Keep going back. Finally, he said, well, there's a little bit of a cloud out there. It was just an issue of obedience. Well, how many of you know if you see a little cloud out there in your horizon, don't be tricked and be deceived. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, if you see a tiny cloud in the horizon, how many of you know perception is everything in that? It could be 100 miles off, 
but that thing could be a gigantic storm. If it just is moving your direction, the closer it gets, the bigger the storm is, and you start going, whoa. And that's what happened in the Bible. And here we see the leper that he finally dipped the seventh time. And I'll tell you what, he was ecstatic. I mean, he was so thrilled. He was like, man, let's go back and bless this prophet Give unto this work. Give unto this man. He just was changed. His leprosy was gone. Let's close over here in 2 Corinthians about being prompt to obey. Now this verse of scripture, I'm going to read it from the Amplified because it does that. It, it adds Greek words. Now it doesn't say them in Greek, but it will tell us them in English. And it's real interesting here what is said. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. And now this has to do with giving offerings to the Lord. But how many of you know principles are principles no matter where you plug them in? If you give effort to anything, you reap or partake of whatever you give effort to. It's just a principle in life. Are you with me? If I don't give effort to something, uh, I won't partake fully like I should from that thing. Are you with me? So principles are principles. So we're going to look at this principle here. Notice 2 Corinthians 9, 6. It says, remember this. He who sows sparingly and grudgingly will also reap sparingly and grudgingly. That's an interesting thought. And he who sows generously, that blessings may come to someone. You know, whatever we do, our attitude toward others and toward God needs to be good. What we do for the Lord, what we do to the Lord, what we do on behalf of the Lord when we think nobody's looking, our attitude needs to be right. Amen? Our attitude can be like dragging an anchor behind a boat. If we just reel in our attitude, the boat's going to cruise better. Amen? Oh, but I, I'm obeying the Lord. But if we're dragging that attitude, it will make it for a tough go. But notice this. Verse 7. Let each one give as he has made up his own mind and purposed in his heart. Notice this. Not reluctantly. So when we do whatever it is we do, and in this case it's giving, finances, but how many of you know any obedience we should do to the Lord, not reluctantly. None of it. All right, I'll do it, Lord. I'm reluctant. I'm grinding Arr, my teeth and I'm... Uh. Remember this famous guy named Jonah? He did stuff, saw great results, but he never really enjoyed what he was doing never really partook of what he could have partaken of. He always had a bad attitude. I mean, he ended up in the belly of a fish. Then he got back in the will of God. 
then once he obeyed and he got there, he, he, he just kept carrying this bad attitude and he was obeying, but holding a bad attitude when he was doing it. And, and he, he even got up on a hill and said, I'm just going to see if God destroys the city, even though I'm obeying and preaching to him. And then his little tree that he was sitting under for shade and the heat got eaten up. He just had a bad attitude. Even though God was still working with him, his attitude, he needed an attitude adjustment. Amen. Some of the problems he went through were because of his own attitude. Now, I know we could blame the fish. I know we can blame the other people in the boat. Because it's always a circumstance from someone else or from other situations. But really, we kind of have to look at ourselves and go, where am I in control? And one of the main things I'm in control of is my own attitude. And so here we see he said, let each one give as he's made up his own mind. So you got to determine, am I going to obey? And purposed in his heart, not reluctantly or sorrowfully or under compulsion. In other words, we should not always have to be pushed to obey God. We should do it ourselves. Amen. And then it says, for God loves... He takes pleasure in, prizes above all things, and is unwilling to abandon or do without. What is it that he's unwilling to abandon and do without? A cheerful, joyous, prompt-to-do-it giver whose heart is in his giving. But we know this scripture is about giving, and he wants a prompt to do it giver but what about any area of life what about what lies out ahead what about the blessing that's in obedience in any area and i know this the bible said if you are willing and obedient you will eat the good of the land so here he said, he wants you to be joyous in your obedience. He wants you to be prompt to do it in your obedience. And then he said, give with your heart. And he said, and then God will make all grace and all earthly blessing and different things come back to you. Obedience is a huge thing. We, we do talk about grace and grace is a huge thing. But grace is just, you know, accessing what God has made available by our trust and by our obedience. You with me? God has a good plan. And I will say this about God's plan. God's plan just won't fall on us. There has to be acts of obedience. There has to be a response to the Lord. When you take the response what many times people don't realize is how big the thing is on the other side of our obedience. Amen. How many of you want to walk in his best? Then we just have to walk through that door that's called obedience.
Amen. Isn't the Lord good? He is, and he's working too. And you know what's really cool about this time that we have? It's not just me speaking. It's people being pricked in their heart. Where they go, man, I know I need to do something. I know I need to respond to him. And, and realize I don't have the big catch. I haven't seen the enemies leave yet. But all those things are connected to stepping. Amen.